It's time for CBB 365 with your hosts, Adam Hipsky and Patrick Dallahan. All right. So we had an action packed week two to start off the college basketball season. A lot, a lot of great games were played this week. Unfortunately, the best game of the year supposedly was canceled uh, on Saturday. That being Gonzaga Baylor, truly an upsetting day for all of us. But without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, this week was headlined by the Maui Classic, the Jimmy B, Jimmy V, right? Jimmy V Classic yeah, Jimmy and the v. Maui Invitational. It, but but this time in Asheville, as Bill Walton made very clear on every single broadcast this week. And, and Champions Classic also. Yes, and the Champions oh. Classic. Yes, three big-time college basketball events. Basically, the three—I would say—the top three college basketball events of the year, really. Yeah, I'd obviously say not so. much. Obviously, not much madness, but preseason. I mean, Bad Boy Mowers is obviously up there, but when it got changed to the crossover classic, it wasn't even near uh, the typical premier event that it typically is. But uh, yeah, yeah and the okay. fact that it was moved to South Dakota and they use an analog clock. I don't know, man. I kind of like clock. analog clock. I don't know. I, like I, I I'm kind of split on it. It's, I just feel like if I'm the point guard and like time's running down and I got to look up there and I'm like fifteen. Especially if you don't know, especially if you don't know how to read a clock. Like, yeah, that's not something. That's like, not something. Time for that. There's two that's not something in the game. So I wouldn't be surprised to find out like they don't know how to read an analog clock. I mean, I get it. I get it. If you can't read an analog clock under pressure, you know, time's running out. You know, tick tock, tick tock. And, and, you know, you're under pressure and you can't really read, you know, look at 20 seconds or a minute 10, you know, you're not really looking to do it then. But if you don't know how to read an analog clock, just with no pressure, just looking at it, telling what time it is, mm-hmm. uh, that's an issue. That's, it that's, is a an life, issue. that's a life issue, life skill that you need to learn. Yeah. But um, moving on from that tangent, um, let's get right into the <laughs> quote unquote Maui Classic in Asheville, gorgeous Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, Texas played very well throughout that tournament. Just- yeah, and I, I think UNC was definitely the heavy favorite heading into that. Uh, Texas was just a step behind. And IU, IU looked like they were going to make a run at it after their day one game. Uh, but it ended up being Texas coming out with it. And that was a great game, Texas-UNC. It ended with a Matt Coleman step back buzzer beater for the win. But uh, my biggest takeaway uh, was would be that Stanford basketballs is a legitimate team in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they played UNC tight. Uh, they did end up losing to IU. Uh, but... They looked good. They looked good. They played, they beat Alabama, beat them convincingly. Uh, and then you followed up that good performance against Alabama with, with a, a near upset against UNC. Uh, I was very impressed with the way Zaire Williams and Oscar De Silva went out and handled themselves uh, in the Maui Invitational, but in Asheville, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Stanford, I was very surprised by. Like, I, I, I've, we all knew they were going to be pretty good. I wouldn't say like really surprised, but they played UNC very tough. They played them all the way to the end. They played them to the last whistle. Uh, Oscar De Silva looked great in every game he played. Obviously, so did Zaire Williams. Kind of struggled in the second game, but looked good against Alabama. 
Um, they're mm-hmm. definitely a threat in the Pac-12 this year. And you look at them, they went one and two in Maui, but I think really what they did there, I think their results don't show how well they played. Because uh, if you watch a game against Alabama, they looked really well. Uh, UNC, they looked good. And IU, they IU, they just had a bad game. Zaire Williams went down with an injury. He's obviously okay. But uh, IU had a career shooting day. They looked really well. They only put up 79 points, but uh, they caught heat and uh, kind of ran away with it there in the second half. But uh, I would say that would probably be my number one takeaway. Besides, obviously, you know, Texas winning it. And uh, uh, Matt Coleman, one of the best guards in college basketball so far this year. Mm-hmm. He He – looked great not only in that tournament but today against Villanova he was awesome yeah. against Villanova Klein said he's our he's their best player and I think that there's there's no one on that Texas team that is better than him maybe yeah, I mean, they, like they've got well they've got a really good surrounding cast whether yeah. or not you want to call him the best guy or not the fact that you can even have a guy like Matt Coleman and then have an argument of someone else that that can surround him that might be better than him you know whether it's Greg Brown whether it's Jericho Sims or or Courtney Ramey you know all those guys uh, could be legitimate two options or yeah number two option on another team so I'm uh, Texas looks really good I would say Texas really uh, obviously behind Kansas and behind Baylor but I I would love I can't Way to see how well uh, Texas can compete in the Big 12 because yeah. I think they're right there in the thick of it with Baylor, and I think they're better than Kansas. I think they've propelled yeah. themselves not only due to Kansas's poor play, but uh, Texas has looked really well in the opening stretch of the yeah, season. Yeah, they've looked they've looked awesome. And before we move on, I just want to say I've been wildly impressed by Jericho Sims on Texas. He doesn't show up that much in the score sheet, but when he gets the ball down low. He's very hard to stop. Like we saw him off the pick and roll, his ability to finish off the pick and roll against Davidson with that two-handed throw throw in dunk. Uh right over the Davidson center. And he looked phenomenal in that game. He looked okay today against Villanova, you know. But I mean, what can you do? Villanova's a great team, defend both defensively and offensively, but they, they did a good job. I think another reason that contributes to such the great play by Jericho Sims so far is having a great, great point guard, whether it's yeah. Matt Coleman or Courtney Ramey is running the one. Uh, you look at some of the best big men in college basketball. You look at Aduka, Aduka Azubuki from last year. He had Devon Dotson. Uh-huh. Uh, you think of Kofi Coburn this year, Io DeSumo. Uh, you know, that's that's his point guard. So uh, I think having a great point guard that's able to feed him well uh, and get him his post touches, get him in the high-low uh, offense, I think that really helps out Texas. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they've got they've got a lot of athletes on that team. Yeah, they, they do. Stretch the, they can stretch the floor. They can play inside out. Uh, they can get it into the post. They can kick it out. They've got shooters. So uh, they look very well-rounded so far this year. Yeah, they've looked phenomenal throughout the year and moving on uh, obviously Gonzaga took on West Virginia at uh, the uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis not too far from where Adam lives in Fishers but um uh that was a good game another good game that went right down to the wire uh Gonzaga obviously able to come away with it with the victory in that game Jalen Suggs almost got hurt well he did get hurt but he almost had to leave the game for the entirety of the game. He obviously came back in the end, but that was very scary. 
considering the fact that we just said that he's the best freshman in the country and that we thought he was going to be impressive to watch all season long. Yeah, and it definitely looks the part when you talk about best freshman in the country. But uh, going back to that Gonzaga game, you know, their next game after West Virginia, which I was really interested, was to see whether or not Jalen Suggs would play. And, and they were supposed to play Baylor on Saturday, and, and mm-hmm. that game got canceled. But we still haven't really heard much of an update uh, regarding his status. Uh, but, I mean, they don't really have uh, – they've got – a, a bit of an easy easy stretch here until they play Iowa on the 19th. Uh, but uh, I think they'll be okay. I think they might hold Suggs out as a precaution, whether or not he was going to play against Baylor or not. Uh, the other thing I was going to say at the beginning of the show was Baylor Gonzaga is canceled, but we hadn't really talked. Uh, both teams have agreed to attempt to reschedule this game uh, and not only attempt, but they, Sounds very fairly confident mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to be able to get this game rescheduled. But uh, Gonzaga looks like the best team in the country. I was really excited to see how Baylor stacked up, coming off a great win against Illinois, which we'll get into. Yep. Uh, but uh, Suggs, I would my prediction now is he'll probably be out for a couple games. Uh, I think yeah, they would definitely be the right thing to do to rest him. Just try yeah, to get him got, healthy. They've got Texas Southern coming up, so uh, just set them out. Set him out a couple games. You've obviously still got Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, Andrew Nemhard, guys that can definitely get the job done for the Zags. So, uh, no, West Virginia played well. Uh, Big yeah. 12 is really shaping into a great conference this year. And for only having eight teams, they've got really a lot of fun-to-watch teams. Yeah, uh, West Virginia, Baylor, Texas are right there. Uh, you know, you would say that Kansas is probably a little bit behind them right now because they haven't played the best this season. Uh, but then you've still got Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham, who who had a good win this week. Uh, you still have Oklahoma. TCU just had it. Oklahoma TCU just played a really good game. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a good conference. I mean, they're going to get four or five teams in there from the tournament, which is over half the league. So uh, Big 12, I would say – uh, compared to where they're typically at, uh, it's definitely an, an above average year for the Big 12 so far. Oh, yeah, I, I'd agree. Someone that another guy, another Big 12 big man that stood out to me against Gonzaga and has played well the entire years, uh, Derek Culver. He's played well yeah. for the majority of the year. He's averaging close to a double double, if not a double double. And, you know, we've seen that he can do that consistently in night in and night out in the past. He's obviously not a guy that scores a lot, but this year he has been. And we already knew that he has the ability to crash the boards better than just about everybody in the country. If you really want to make that argument, but he can, and he does consistently night in night out every game. You can expect at least eight, nine rebounds out of him. And it's been very helpful to the Mountaineers as this year has gone by. Yeah. That front court duo. Uh, for Bob Huggins is lethal. Mm-hmm. Oscar Shibway and Derek Culver. Uh, that's and especially for and especially for a team that works so much in the front court offensively. And it's one of the best front courts, if not the best front court duo. I'd, I'd say the best. I, I mean, it, they've got two guys that are that are arguably first round picks. Uh, they get in foul trouble. I would say that's the one thing to look at. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Shibway fouled out against Gonzaga. Derek Culver had four fouls. Uh, so they, you know, if they can, obviously, you know, Bob Huggins' style, uh, aggressive, uh, foul-ridden defense, uh, unfortunately, just because of how much 
just because of how much they, they pressure the ball and uh, play aggressively. But uh, no, Derek Culver looks good. Oscar Shibway looks good. Miles McBride uh, has had a good week. So uh, West Virginia off to a three and one start. So, yep. Uh, and they, uh, they're, they're right in the mix for the big 12 title too. Yeah. And moving on to another game that was headlined by two top 10 teams in the country, Duke versus Michigan state at Cameron indoor. Uh, Tom Izzo had the, had the opportunity to get his first win at Cameron indoor and that he did. They capitalized on a great opportunity. Uh, obviously a Duke team that isn't as talented or nearly as talented as the Duke teams of the past last year's team was much more talented the year before that much more talented and Michigan state got it done. They won pretty handily. Uh, they came out, they played well, uh, rocket Watts headlining the, the, uh, Spartans with 20 points. Uh, the guy I said to keep an eye on coming into the year for the big 10, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. They came out, they came out a little flat. Uh, they got down early. It wasn't for long, but, uh, they came out flat. The one thing you look at is Josh Langford, who was one of the one of the best players in the at least one of the best shooting guards, if not one of the best big best players in the Big Ten a couple years ago. He's had to be out two years due to injuries. He, uh, I believe, he broke his foot uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, in 2018, and then what, there was hopes that he was going to get back for uh, the Final Four in Minneapolis a couple years ago. Uh, he was not able to make it back, and then he got hurt in camp the next year. So he hadn't played a basketball game in two years, and I was really thinking that he would be a big part in Michigan State's offense, uh, and he really has been kind of non-existent so far. He was one of yeah. two from three and one of two from the field at that uh, with only three points. So, uh, you know, it, Rocket Watts looked good. Uh, he had 20. Aaron Henry put up 21 shots, which uh, – that's that's a lot. That's really a lot, especially for Tom Izzo's offense. And, and they needed a spark. They needed a spark because of how how flat they came out against Duke. And Aaron Henry got a couple buckets. He started out three yeah. for four and then uh, kind of trailed on and went three for 18 to finish the game, which is, which is obviously not what you want uh, your star point guard to do. But uh, seven for 21 with 14 points isn't an ideal performance. I think it was probably one of his – uh, lesser shooting games, uh, didn't shoot the ball real well. But uh, Rocket Watts, they've got options. Uh, they do. If Langford, if Langford can step up, Julius Marble looked well off the bench. Uh, Malik Hall looked well off the bench. So uh, they've got a couple guys that can come in and give them valuable minutes, uh, especially if they're starting starting five, uh, can contribute just the same with uh, Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, Josh Langford, and uh, Joey Hauser. Yeah, Michigan State proving that they're a legit team in college basketball is something that we were all fairly comfortable saying coming into the year, I feel like. But uh Yeah, moving- but then talking talking about the Champions Classic, two teams that have been extremely underwhelming so far. Uh it was the second of the doubleheader, Kansas and Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, Kansas Kansas pulled it out late, but Neither one of those teams looked great early on. No. they Kansas shot like 30% from the field or something like that. Like, they just didn't make their shots that much, and they didn't do that well. Uh, offensively, they were able to get the job done defensively. Uh, they obviously held K- Kentucky to – yeah, they held Kentucky to 62 points. But they only put up 65, which is very underwhelming. And both of those teams this year, I'd say – have been pretty underwhelming. 
Yeah, I would say their one bright spot is is Jalen Wilson, who was a who was a forward who broke his foot last year, was out for the year for the Jayhawks. He's come in and he's really been their lone bright spot. Marcus Garrett, who was supposed to be an All American, he's not really playing up to par as what we thought he would. Uh, he only had eight points, shot four of eleven from the field uh, against Kentucky, but uh, Jalen Wilson dropped twenty three. Uh, and that was kind of his coming out party, I would say. Uh, and he's probably going to be the number number one, if not number two, option on the on that Kentucky or not, sorry, excuse me, on that Kansas Jayhawks squad. Yeah, someone who I think has looked good for Kentucky throughout the year is uh, obviously you can't go wrong with uh, Terrence Clark. I mean, not yeah, you know, Terrence Clark has looked good. He only had six points that game, but this game against Georgia Tech that is being played as we record. He has about 15 points, 17 points. So he's played he's played well for the majority of the season. A freshman from Boston has done well. Obviously, Olivier Saar has been a big part of that. They've been super underwhelming. Like, Davion Mintz is really their one, like, designated three-point shooter. They have too many guys like Jacob Toppin that are so focused on their inside game that that don't shoot. They don't shoot, period. And, and they've got athletes. I mean, Isaiah Jackson, Terrence Clark, uh, Jacob Toppin, Cameron Fletcher, you know, all those guys are athletes, but they're not guys that can shoot the ball. And Davion Mintz, uh, who I didn't think we would see too much of this year, uh, due to his ability to shoot the ball, he's the Creighton transfer. Just because of his ability to shoot the ball, he's found himself uh, with a lot of playing time early on. Devin Askew, I thought, was going to be able to shoot the ball a lot better than he has yeah. so far this year. I've, yeah, I've he, been surprised about how much uh, playing time uh, Davion Mintz has seen this year. Like, yeah, he's good, but I didn't expect him to be a key part of this Kentucky offense. But he absolutely needs to be just because of, you know, his shooting abilities, uh, what he brings to the table. I mean, yeah. 14 them, them shooting 14%, going three for 21 uh, against Kansas, just inexcusable. They have, yeah, you there's, know, you're not, you can't win games, uh, going three for 21 from three. Yeah. I think, I think Davion Mintz also, he's one of the very few players on this Kentucky team that has experienced a college, a D one power five or power six, yeah. I guess, college basketball season at all. So I think, yeah. I think when he's out there with, four other freshmen or three other freshmen and, and SAR say that's big for them to have someone who's been around the block. I think. Yeah. yeah. They have no experience and they have no shooting and Davion Mintz brings both of those. They also, uh, they but other still than that, they're a great team. They still don't have Keon Brooks, you know, yeah. so hopefully uh, it, he's not a huge shooter, but I mean, he does facilitate well. And uh, moving on to um, Illinois and Baylor, uh, Baylor convincingly won 82 to 69. Uh, just a, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's sort of surprising that they were able to win by 13 points, but this Baylor team is ridiculous this year. Like, I think they, I think they, when you watch the game, they really pulled away as of late, but uh, they were, they were up for a majority of the game. I mean, it was close at half. Uh, Ayo DeSumo couldn't get anything to fall uh, when he was driving, when he couldn't get his driving game to go. Uh, that kind of shut down the rest of the Illinois offense. Kofi Coburn got in foul trouble. Uh, so I wouldn't say this was the best showing from Illinois. No, not not at all. The one thing that really impressed me with Baylor is when you watch the game, uh, how together they are. 
They, they, they very much work as a unit. They had one, two, three, four, five guys all over 10 points. And not only that, but how their chemistry has built. You know, they only really lost Freddie Gillespie from last year. So mm-hmm. this group has been together for the second straight year. And when you get so many guys returning, obviously that's going to lead to better chemistry. But uh, when you look at how much fun they're having on the bench and when they were in the game, uh, Jared Butler, you know, Macy O.T., you know, they just looked like they were having fun out there. Uh, yeah. They've got a lot of guys that can go. Uh, Flager looked really good off the bench for them. Uh, he had over 15. So, uh, no, this Baylor team, this Baylor team looks really good. So I don't think it's the best showing from Illinois. Uh, you know, we get to see them at Cameron Indoor uh, this week on, on the on the 8th in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, you know, Duke doesn't look that great. I think Illinois should handle business there, uh, but obviously not easy to win a camera indoor, even without the camera crazies. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I would like to see Illinois uh, in this Duke game. I think that'd be a fair assessment. We can give them a fair assessment after that to yeah. see uh, how in contention they are for the Big Ten yeah. title, especially when we've got Michigan State playing well, Iowa playing really well, Wisconsin was playing well. They took one on the chin to Marquette but so many teams in the Big Ten look really really good so far this year yeah like when you talk about how Illinois like just didn't shoot the ball well you're right Adam Miller only had four points Kofi Cochran only had seven Io had 18 uh Kofi uh, Kofi Coburn only played 18 minutes yeah that's that played in part due to his foul trouble I mean he yeah. picked up four you fouls yeah you can't you can't have Kofi Coburn playing 18 minutes like that that's an issue like i'm not talking about how the coach didn't play him he like foul you can't get into that much foul trouble you just yeah when you have four fouls in 18 minutes you know that's 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 an issue and they don't have the most uh front court depth they've got georgie bashanis but you know outside of that they really don't and they play four guards so you know they really only need a backup but Coleman Hawkins, the freshman, he's getting a lot of run early. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, he's a true freshman. But, yeah, Kofi Coburn, you know, when you only have seven points in 18 minutes and four fouls, you know, you, it's not what you look for when you have one of the best big men yeah. in college basketball. So, like I said, I don't think this was the best showing at all from Illinois. I think they played really bad, actually. Uh, when you think of AO only going six from 18 from the floor, Adam Miller, who's one of the best scorers on that team who we've seen – uh, so much from already winning Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Uh, going two from 11 and 0 for 6 from deep, which is where he really shoots the ball wells behind the three-point arc. Uh, I just think this was a bad showing from Illinois, and I think we will see them still uh, in the in contention for the Big Ten title, even though they did uh, take a tough one to, to Baylor. Yeah, moving on. Uh, really the last game on our on our list of games that we paid a lot of attention to Um Number 12, Villanova versus number 17, Texas, was played earlier this afternoon. Uh, on This is Sunday. Uh, and Villanova came away with a great win. They won by, I want to say, four points. Four Correct points. me if I'm wrong. Yeah, four points. And it really proved Texas team isn't Arizona State. They're better. They're faster. They're stronger. They're more athletic. And they proved that they could beat them even when not playing at their best. Yeah, I was a little surprised, really. I did not expect Villanova to come in to Austin and be a Texas team that was playing so well uh, coming off that Maui Invitational 
win, winning three games in three days. Maybe they were a little fatigued, uh, like I said, after playing three games in three days. Uh, but Matt Coleman looked well. I He's impressed me a lot so far. Uh, he looks like one of the best, best guards, not only in the Big 12, but in the country. Uh, but him and Courtney Ramey. Courtney Ramey can spread the floor out. He can shoot the ball. Greg Brown, Jericho Sims. Uh, so this is we've we've already talked about them when we talked about Maui. But this is a really good Texas team, and Villanova did what they did best: slow down the game, uh, and and play their kind of basketball. Held Texas to 64 points, uh, and Jermaine Robinson Earl or Jeremiah Robinson, yeah. excuse me, played very well. Uh, 19, and then Jermaine Samuels. Uh, didn't have the best game, but no, he str- he struggled to shoot the ball today. He didn't look great when it came to putting the ball in the basket today, but he was awesome on the boards. He had 12 rebounds. Really, he he got a lot of really good rebounds for them. Yeah, and Gillespie didn't look great either. He shot 30 percent from the floor. So. Yeah, he got he got into uh, a lot of foul trouble, similar to Kofi Kofi Coburn. Uh, he he so, got himself into foul trouble trouble early, and that did hurt them. So the fact that they were still able to come away uh, with the win against a really good Texas team that was playing very well, uh, go on the road and do it against a good Texas team uh, with your best player uh, in Colin Gillespie. Gillespie. There we go. Uh, you know, not playing at his best. Uh, for them to come in and get the win, uh, that was a very impressive win for in my eyes. And I agree. I think both of these teams are top ten in the country caliber teams like Texas obviously took down UNC uh, a couple days ago, and then they have to play a Villanova team that's on the brink of the top 10. Anyways, they both received top 10 votes in uh, this week's poll for our, our poll, uh, the yeah. CBB three, six, five poll. And I think and, that they're both deserving of it. And I, and I think this game was a little overshadowed because of it was in the one o'clock slot uh, right when, uh, you know, right during the midst of, of NFL Sunday, all that going on at once. So I don't think very many people got to tune in. But Texas Texas is a top 10 team mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the new AP poll hasn't come out. So it looks like they're number 17. But, you know, after those three wins in Maui, they absolutely deserve to be a top 10 team. Uh, and, and Villanova took that tough loss to Virginia Tech. But Virginia Tech's been playing well so far. So, you know, this was a really good game. You know, this was a top five matchup in Ken Palm's rankings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Ken Palm, you know, updates every day. As always, for these uh, weekly recaps, we're going to start doing uh, um, one thing that we all liked from this week. Um, My thing that I really, really, really liked this week was, uh, how do I say his name? Uh, Kelly Mm. LaPipi. On uh, La Pepe, uh, I don't know how to say his name, on uh, Loyola Marymount. Uh, oh, the, the, with the, the guy with the long hair. Yeah, that guy is uh, awesome. he, he was electric this week against Minnesota. Uh, it's setting a lot of picks. He's a grit guy. If he played football, he'd definitely be a fullback. Uh, and he, he was just electric to watch. It was awesome. My my takeaway from the week is not nearly as strong as what yours was. <laughs> yeah, that guy uh, is pretty strong. No, yeah, uh, yeah he is strong. He I was just talking about. Well, I was just talking about in terms of uh, how well your assessment of the week was, but uh, I would say my number one is Missouri. We didn't think Missouri would be anywhere close uh, to the middle pack of the SEC. Uh, and there are a couple of SEC teams that have disappointed, and Missouri is not one of those. 
Uh, they beat Oregon. They beat Wichita State. Uh, they've they've won they've won every single game they've played so far. They're three and L. They're obviously going to have a tough one next Saturday against Illinois uh, that they could drop. But Missouri's impressed so far, so I would say that that'll be my my number one takeaway f- from this week. Mine will be Rick Pitino is back. Uh, gets his first win in three years, I believe, I want, yeah, over I that's right. the Hofstra Pride. Um, Decent mid-major team. So Hofstra is not bad, and Rick Pitino is on the board, and uh, he really like hyped up the win for himself after the game. He made it sound like they just beat Duke. And, uh, yeah, it was good to see pretty Ricky back on the sideline. Yeah, it was. And uh, as we make our way to the end of the week one recap, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation with uh, Ken Pomeroy, the creator of the Ken Palm ranking system. So I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, interview. We talk about how he created the system, what he thinks about this season and a bunch of other stuff in college basketball. All right. And joining us today, one of the bigger names in college basketball media creator of the Ken Palm ranking system. Ken Pomeroy. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, You're obviously a bigger name in the college basketball media industry, but we'll start off with a little bit of your background. Have you always been like a college basketball fan? And when did you start viewing the game from a numbers standpoint? Yep. I've always, I've always been a fan really. I think from as soon as I, can remember you know really that it was one of my favorite sports is from just growing up and and following sports like I liked a number of different sports but college hoops was always the one I liked most and as far as getting to the numbers part of it uh really you know start, when the, with the website it was about 2004 the end of the 2003-2004 season um I really started to kind of focus on that uh, it was about the time that uh Moneyball had come out uh, the book um, and there's a lot of analytics in yep. baseball at the time and, uh, and not much was happening in college basketball, which was the sport I cared about. So I decided to get something started back then. Speaking, like you said, you were a big fan of it when you were younger, what teams did you grow up like watching the most and enjoying the most? So, I mean, I think part of the reason I became a big fan was I, I grew up in, uh, Northern Virginia, just out of, outside of Washington, DC. And I mean, it was, you know, mm-hmm. the heyday of the big East and the ACC, so, yeah. uh, you know, Maryland and Georgetown were like the two big teams in, in that area. And they were, you know, obviously Georgetown was in the midst of the John Thompson years where they mm-hmm. were, you know, wrecking the Big East and, uh, and Maryland had some good years. And I would, uh, followed Virginia pretty closely as well, which is kind of ironic because I ended up attending Virginia Tech. So I had to renounce my, uh, my Virginia loyalty, but, you know, they had good teams back then as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, those are those are kind of the three teams that I was following the most, most closely. Yeah. I was going to say, when you said that you followed Virginia, we were like, wait, he went to tech. So that's gotta be kind of confusing for him. <laughs> it was confusing. Yeah, it was confusing. I had to, you know, reorient myself, uh, but uh, got through it. Okay. And uh, you know, came out, a, came out a better person as a, as a Hokie yeah. on the other side. But, um, for someone listening who may not know, how do the Ken Palm rankings work? Well, they uh, look at, um, what a team scores per possession and what they allow per possession. So talking uh, offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency, I'm sure by now people have heard those terms dropped in a broadcast at some point. Um, so yeah, it looks at those two things 
and it adjusts uh, for the quality of a team's opponent. So if you played some weak defenses or weak offenses or, or strong offenses or whatever, it, it accounts for that. And then it, uh, it ranks teams based on their efficiency margin, which is the difference between their adjusted offensive efficiency and their adjusted defensive efficiency. And how are they different from, you know, all the other dozens of other rankings out there? Well, uh, you know, when I started, it was different in the sense that uh, really the the standard at that time was was Jeff Sager and his ratings and his most power ratings at that point just were one number. Uh, you know, here's your number, compare these two values and you can get, you know, how much a team should be favored by. Uh, where mine were different was that, you know, there's an offensive and a defensive component to it. Mm-hmm. And really just gives you like a little bit more information as to why a team's good, not just necessarily, hey, here's a number they're, you know, ranked X, like, you know, you can see a team's offensive and defensive ranking pretty easily. And um, it applies, you know, pretty well to college basketball more so than other sports. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that's kind of where I stood out, you know, mm-hmm. back then. Now, you know, there's a bunch of other systems that I think have kind of followed that formula because it just like makes more sense to rank teams that way. Yeah. And another big part of the Ken Palm rankings is, is home court advantage. Where does that come into play and how does that come into play in your rankings? So, uh, so there's two separate things here. One is that I have like a, a home court advantage model for every team, which, uh, you know, looks at kind of what they've done in the past at home versus the road. And it's, it's not just like their scoring, but, uh, or scoring margin, but, uh, it's some other things like fouls called and, uh, um, steals and blocks and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So th- that's actually pretty useful to predict future home court advantage. So, so I have that actually in the, Ratings themselves, I just use a flat value for home court advantage, mostly because the difference between home court advantage between the best team and the worst team in the country is not that great, and uh, it just makes more sense to uh, to use uh, one number. And because your ratings are void of opinion and are strictly numbers-based, have you ever produced a specific ranking that you really just didn't agree with based on your own eye test? For sure, yeah. You know, there's 350 teams in Division One, and uh, – and there's always teams in there that you look at and you think mainly because of like, not just the eye test, but you know, there's other people uh, covering the game that you trust and they have a differing, differing opinion from what's in your ratings. And so, you know, those are teams that, um, uh, that I tend to focus on every year. I, typically, you know, I think last year was uh, the, the main example was Minnesota who, uh, you know, obviously struggled down the stretch in the big 10 um, they ended up finishing 15 and 16, yet they were ranked 27th in my system. And a lot of people felt like that was a little bit inflated. And I do think that probably it was a little bit inflated, not because Minnesota wasn't kind of sneaky good. Like they were not going to tournament, but they were like a pretty solid team playing in a really difficult league. But, mm-hmm. but the bigger issue is that probably the Big Ten, even though it was a really good league, it was probably a bit overrated in my ratings. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we never got like the, the postseason play to kind of sort some of that out. But I think that was like – one of the things last year when I look back on my ratings, I'm like a little bit cringy about because uh, it, was, it was a little bit off in that respect. Yep. So the AP poll has been one of the standards for college basketball rankings for a long, long time now. And what's your view on that system and the way it's done and the way it's been viewed? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard to articulate. I, you know, the AP poll has a, a obvious purpose in terms of, just being the ranking system that is used by, you know, TV networks and whatnot to promote their games. And from that standpoint, it's fine. Um, 
but from a standpoint of like using it for any sort of analysis, uh, I don't find it particularly useful. Um, you know, obviously there are certain biases that, that you see every year where, you know, if a team starts out and plays a really easy schedule and just doesn't lose, like they're going to rise in the rankings regardless of like the quality of their wins. Whereas you see other teams that challenge themselves, you know, play it like the worst thing is when somebody plays like a top five team or something and they lose and, and they end up dropping in the AP poll. And it's like, Oh, what? Like hmm. almost every team yeah. in the country would have lost that game. Why are you, yeah. why are you penalizing that team? So, uh, so those are issues that uh, kind of blow my mind when I start to think about it. But I mean, it's gotten to the point for me where obviously with my system and, and others out there, like I don't refer to the AP poll very often. You know, I, I just refer to it just in case somebody's going to ask me about a particular team, but I don't really uh, yeah. put, put any stock in it. Yeah, I was going to say a good example of like teams getting hurt by the AP poll is the start of the 2019 season when Kentucky played Duke and they lost by like 50 because that Duke team was ridiculous and they got killed in the poll for it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's, I think people, the other thing people really struggle with, I think, is like the home road issue too. Like, you know, you'll, mm-hmm. like, you'll go on the road and lose, like, if you go on the road and play like the, 30th best team in the country like that's a really difficult win and I think people underestimate how difficult that is and uh and mm-hmm. some of the teams get penalized uh, pretty harshly for it by the AP voters how hard has it been to get your ranking inside the college basketball world so to speak and to players and coaches and especially to older coaches who aren't as big on analytics to buy into your data yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like I was, when I started out, I was always surprised at like how accepting people were. Like I, you know, I didn't really, my goal wasn't necessarily to be where I am today. Like I was just kind of interested in putting together a good rating system, mostly for myself and, you know, maybe a handful of people out there that would, uh, would notice it. But yeah, um, ultimately it's like, I think generally it's been pretty well accepted. The, obviously there's, you know, a generation of coaches that um, are, you know, didn't uh, come into the game when, when these, when this kind of stuff was, was the norm and it's, you know, they've been reluctant or just, you know, just kind of outright rejected it. But I really feel like in almost every program now, whether it's the head coach or not, like somebody in the program is using this stuff, you know, very seriously in, in game preparation. So even the coaches that kind of disregard it or might even like say negative things about it are actually, using it even though they don't know it right like somebody on their staff is using it yeah. to put, put out the game plan so like they're indirectly using it anyway so i mean to me i like always kind of seen it as a positive is how quickly it, it has been accepted and then let's look specifically and dive into your uh rankings for the season starting at the top the ap poll you know we uh touched on that a little bit earlier but they have gonzaga as the overwhelming number one but your rankings have baylor uh atop your poll uh, is that a strength of schedule issue for Gonzaga or why Baylor over them? Um, a, a little bit. So there is a factor in the, in the ratings that uh, where your conference uh, strength plays into it. And so obviously Baylor gets helped a lot by that because the Big 12 was uh, at least heading into the season ranked the best conference in my system. And with the exception of last year, uh, they, w- they had a, basically a six-year streak of being the top conference in my, hmm. in my ratings. So um so that helps. Obviously, the WCC drags Gonzaga down a little bit, but um, Gonzaga would have been number one in my system had Philip Petrusev not uh, decided to go uh, back to Europe and play basketball. Uh, they were number one until that point. So um, it's actually like really impressive that Gonzaga's uh, Gonzaga's ranked that high given 
again, that kind of the conference penalty that they, they end up suffering. You look at the top 25 and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, all power conference teams pretty much except Gonzaga at, at number two and, and uh, basically like Houston at, at 22. So it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and then from an analytical standpoint, is there a specific conference that comes to mind that's the best in college basketball this year? Obviously, there's always the ACC and the Big Ten. Which one stands out this year? Yeah, I mean, really, it's the Big it's the Big Twelve or the Big Ten. Like they're they're both you know the Big Twelve is rated higher to start the season than the Big Ten is, mm-hmm. um, but they're both like significantly higher than any other league. And and that, you know, as I said, like the Big Twelve just kind of had this like long run of consistency really since since they realigned. Um, where it's been either the best or the second best conference in the country. The Big Ten uh, obviously emerged last year and, uh, you know, should carry some of that momentum forward. But it's a pretty big drop-off between those two and then the ACC, who I have as the uh, third-best league this year. Yeah, I was going to say the big – like when you really think about it, the Big 12 always has like four or five like really, really good teams every single year. Like it's something that kind of goes over people's heads, I feel like. Yeah, you know, it's – you guys get into that debate with respect to Kansas where, you know, people are like, you know, Kansas is, is one or, or shared the league title, you know, X yeah. years in a row, obviously the streak got broken a couple years ago, but, um, but, you know, people would always say, you know, well, the conference can't be that good. Like Kansas yeah. just, you know, how could they win it every year if it's that good? But really it's more recent, I would say recent history, you know, the last five or six years where it's really emerged and uh, it's, like super impressive that Kansas has, has, has been able yeah. to like maintain that level of excellence every year, because you're right. Like mm-hmm. there are, there's always, you know, three or four really solid teams behind them. And even the bottom of the league is like pretty strong. So you like, you know, go on the road to the last place team and it's still like a very difficult win to get. Yeah. Cause they've had teams in the final four for, I want to say four out of the last five final fours. Cause yes. in 20, 2019 Texas tech. Yeah. Three of the last four. Yeah, I I was counting twenty twenty for some reason because Texas yeah, Tech. Yeah, been right. Like you, you feel yeah. like somebody would have got to the final four from there. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of overlooked and overhyped, give us one team that's criminally overhyped and one team that's criminally underrated coming into this season. Oh man, well I don't know if there's any like criminal charges to be brought. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's been some talk maybe about Iowa. I have Iowa 12 in my rating, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah. But obviously, they seem like they're more of a consensus top five team among writers. And, you know, at some point, you have to, like, if you think Iowa's that good, you have to explain how they basically need, like, to have, like, a top 25, top 30 defense. You know, yeah. Maybe it could be top 40. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at, at recent years and their defense has been obviously well-documented, not good. Um, you know, really in the, yeah. in the Luca Garza era, you know, 97th last year, 111th the year before, Ooh. 242 in 2018. So, Ooh. yeah. And I, I had projected for 73rd, which is, you know, improvement, but it's just like, like I, I don't see a path for it to just transform itself into being like a, you know, above average Big Ten defense. If that happens, we should just give Fran McCaffrey coach of the year. Cause I think, you know, based on the personnel and based on the history, like it's not capable of being that good of a defense. So if, if they can somehow manufacture that great, but um, I, I'll sell them as, as being a top five team right now. Um, underrated. Uh, hard to say, you know, I, I've had this question asked and I've never really come up with like a great 
And so when I look at my ratings, the teams that are higher than I, I expect are not teams that I'm super in love with. Like Ohio State's at 10 and, you know, they have some parts, but certainly some unknowns there and, and hard to like just hang my hat on them. Um, you know, I, I think like Purdue's a team that I find intriguing. I, maybe I'm just like, ha- I have a hangover from last year where they were also intriguing in terms of, yeah. you know, their best games were just fantastically amazing. And, but a lot of their games, they just looked super ugly. And obviously they've, they've lost some dudes from last year, but I do feel like Matt Painter can find a way to make them a kind of a fringy top 25 team, which is where I have them to start the season. So uh, they may not be criminally underrated, but I guess I would, I would keep my eye on them. And definitely someone to keep an eye on. Uh, and then to wrap things up, let's envision a world in which we hopefully make it to March Madness. Uh, is there a specific team that jumps out to you as the analytical favorite to win it all this year? Um, well, I think this is going to be another year uh, where uh, we don't have like an obvious favorite. And, you know, my top three are, are Baylor, Gonzaga, and Duke. And I know people don't think Duke probably is quite that good, but you know, what's amazing about Duke is you look at like the history of my system and uh, their, their median rank at the end of the season has been fourth. So like just an average year for Duke is fourth. Yeah. Um, so even if they have an average team, like they'll still be pretty good, but that's kind of a tangent. The point is like those three teams are rated really close to the top and they're not, they don't have a really strong rating relative to like previous years of preseason rating. So it's, it's going to be uh, a pretty compressed at the top. And uh, you know, I, I hate to use the cliche wide open, but, pretty wide open. Like maybe a team or two will emerge, but uh, I think you'd be like pretty crazy right now picking a team. I, I think that's why, you know, Gonzaga is number one in the preseason AP poll because they are the model of consistency. And, uh, you know, based on the, the team that they bring back, like you can be sure, you know, they're going to lose like two or three games all season. They're going to be a one yeah. seed and they're going to be well primed to, to win it all. All right. So, Thank you to Ken Palm for coming on the show today. If uh, you consider yourself a hardcore college basketball fan, KenPalm.com is a must. It absolute must. Like there's three things that you need to have to really get the best understanding. And KenPalm.com is definitely one of them. So go check it out. And uh, thank you, Ken Palm, so much for coming on. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it.